0: The call to worship will be from Psalm 67, 1 through 7. God, be uh, merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. That your way be, may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let, all the, pe- let the people praise you, O oh God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the people... Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. That he healed her, increase. God, our own God, bless us. Bless us, O God, and let all the ends of the earth fear you. Our Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 3. Who had believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He had no form, no commonness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were our faces from him. He has despised and we esteem him not. We will be reading in the New Testament, John twelve thirty seven 37 through 41. But although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him.
1: Two weeks ago, Pastor Frank Haynes was here speaking to us from the first part of John chapter 12. He told us about the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem and set the context for us very nicely. Many of you know that story. Jesus was at the culmination time of his ministry. He had decided to go up to Jerusalem against the counsel of his own apostles, disciples rather, He had gone up and was prepared himself for what was coming, but nobody else was ready. As he arrived in Jerusalem, he sought to fulfill the scripture and told his disciples to go to a certain house and to request to the Lord of the house that he be given use of a colt. He was given use of that animal. And as per scriptures, as he came into Jerusalem, he was greeted with the palm branch of victory, with the shout of Hosanna, save us. And as Frank Haynes said, they had salvation from the Romans in mind, not salvation from sin in mind. They hailed him as king for he was royalty of the line of David, as was Mary, his mother. He rides triumphantly. We call it the triumphal entry, not because he had won anything and not because this declaration of his kingdom would be meaningful. You see, the crowd is fickle isn't it celebrating a king one day and choosing Barabbas the murderer the next crowning a man king one day and hailing him as the deliverer of Israel only to be calling for his crucifixion five days later the crowd is fickle and so are we This week we have a chance once again to examine our hearts, our lives, our minds, our faith. This week we get the chance to examine whether we too are fickle. Sadly, I think sometimes I am. Faithful one minute, not so faithful the next. Believing one minute, doubting the next. Perhaps you, too, experience the ups and downs in these ways. Jesus enters Jerusalem on that Sunday, but not out of context. The context is set for us in John chapter 11. And we need to go there first before I fill in the gaps that we've been dealing with last week and will deal with this week leading up to Passover. In John chapter 11, verse 1, we find a friend of Jesus in great need. Let's turn there. A man named Lazarus was sick. Boy, was he. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, which in biblical times would have been not two miles over the hill from Jerusalem. Now it takes half a day to get there because of all the walls separating the Palestinians from the Jews, these 20-foot-high concrete bunkers that have been erected that make it impossible for one to journey from Bethany to Jerusalem any longer, except by roads patrolled by men. With guns. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now laid sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So says the commentator. So the sisters sent word to Jesus Lord, the one you love is sick. I like that description. The one you love is sick. It raises the question, was there just one he loved? The very writer of this gospel seems to think he was also one loved. So it's interesting that he points out this detail. It's almost also assumed that the one loved might be Lazarus as opposed to Mary or Martha, but I hardly think that's the case. What is connoted here is the deep affection and friendship Jesus had with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and this household. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and you're going to go back? That was the warning I referred to a minute ago. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. When its people walk at night, they, they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad it was not there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, how odd a thing to say. How dire. It's where we get this word, Didymus, although didymus means twin. It's where we get this word doubting, I mean. For he is the one who doubts. First of all, maybe he foresees that great trouble will come from Jesus speaking to the dead. Maybe he's fearful that something good will come of it. Maybe he expects or is so sarcastic that he too would like to sleep as Lazarus. I don't really know. But Thomas, the cheerful one, speaks, let us go that we may die with him also. You ever been with 12 people? There's always a Thomas, right? I just led a group of 15 people to Turkey and Greece. We had our Thomas. I won't identify them. There's always one in the group. Always one who, well, let us go that we might die. God bless you if you're the Thomas. And may the Lord transform and change you. Amen. This story is the setting for what we're getting to in the triumphal entry. Jesus has intentionally delayed. He's spoken of light and darkness, so I hope you've caught that notation. And he's been speaking of The glory of God. And the context isn't one of ambivalence. We do not have an ambivalent Christ here. He is a Christ who loves. Lord, the one you love is sick. And then it says plainly, he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This was a special place and home for him. These were special people. By the way, I think if the text were rewritten of any of us, hopefully it would say the same. And he loved them. There's power in knowing that you're loved. On verse 17, we find, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. The subtext is, I think I better give him a piece of my mind. Jesus said, Uh, Excuse me, verse 21 Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I do know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. There seems to be a pastoral failure here. Jesus hasn't made it on time, he hasn't been there to comfort, he hasn't been there to provide hasn't been there to heal. It's really too late. But in faith, Martha can say, even out of this, I know whatever you ask will be yours. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. We have the resurrection to look forward to. That's a pastoral thing to say. I know Elder Roethler said that to grieving people. I know I've said that to grieving people. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her something astonishing I am. I am. The rest of it doesn't matter nearly so much as those two words I am. That is my name, God says. I am the ground of your being, the source of your very existence, the energy of your life, the designer of your DNA. I am the one who created you. I am the one who called you. I am the one who redeemed you. I am the one who is the resurrection and the life. It's electrifying. Can you imagine? The confusion is... Martha hears these words. She knows Jesus intimately. She's already expressed faith. But the statement is almost more than can be absorbed. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Talk about being put on the spot and having to process a very big concept. Do you get it? Jesus says, if you believe though you die, you will live. And if you live because of belief, you will never die. It's immunity to the second death. The resurrection that comes through faith in Christ is immunity for the second death. The righteous shall live by faith, the scripture says. And so Jesus is making this incredibly profound comment. Oh, and he's asking her on the spot, do you believe this? I might ask you that today. Do you believe this? She doesn't seem to hesitate. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. That's like me saying, I love you. Do you believe that I love you? And you responding, I believe that you're here. Not quite the same, is it? I believe you're here. You might care. I believe you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You've got what it takes. The Son of God who's come into the world. Now that confessional statement, Son of God, is an important piece. It goes way beyond messianic comments and ideals of the day. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. It was the custom in the Middle East to hire mourners. Isn't that interesting? The wealthier the person, the not only bigger would the sarcophagus be in Roman times and more elaborate the carvings and statuary on it. Think huge mausoleum at Forest Lawn. But Not only would that all be the case, but more people would be hired to be there to mourn. More of a ruckus would be made over the beloved one lost. So they all get up and follow her, supposing she's going to mourn. But Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That was their chorus. That was their song. That was their regret. Jesus had healed so many, but they were dear friends, and he hadn't made it. He hadn't healed Lazarus. Mary says it too. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved to the core and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could he not? Could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's an interesting journey, faith. We see, but we don't see. We hear, but we don't hear. Nothing is new under the sun. We want to believe, which is why the prayer, Help Thou My Unbelief. I hope you pray that regularly. I know I do. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. It's a good prayer to pray. They're caught between this sense of surety that had Jesus been there, he could have done something. They're caught between that and the regret that they feel that he wasn't there as their friend and loved one. They're caught between the hope of resurrection, which they believe will take place eschatologically, that is to say, into the future, down the road, at the end of time. But Jesus seems to be speaking of something else. They believe he's the Messiah, the Son of God. They've confessed with their tongues whatever he asks will happen. And yet those same tongues are chiding, doubting. It's the human condition. It's the thing we all need resurrection from. Jesus is moved once again the text says, deeply moved. He goes over to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, and he commanded that the stone be taken away. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. And if you've been in Israel at all, you know that four days of Israeli heat can certainly bring about decay. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. That's the third theme. I am the one sent. And when Jesus had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. And it was at that point that when many who saw him put their faith in him, but some went to the Pharisees and they called a meeting and began to plot for his death. This is the beginning of the beginning and the beginning of the end. I believe Pastor Haynes talked about the fact that for three days in death, somebody might be resurrected, but nobody beyond that. So, for Jesus to have waited to the fourth day is biblically significant. There's no chance of revival, no chance of reuniting breath of life and body, no chance of spirit re entering form. The form is too far decayed. Lazarus, come forth. And he does. So we get to chapter 12, and he's riding in on the donkey, crowned king, as has already been mentioned. If you were here, I apologize. If you weren't, and this is new to you, good. I'm glad you get the review. The man who could unstop tongues, open eyes of the blind and ears of the deaf. The man who could speak and demons obeyed. Who could speak and order illness, who could set straight withered limbs and crooked backs. This man who could now demonstrably raise the dead, and not just any dead, the dead dead. Do you know what I mean, the dead dead dead? We're talking roadkill here. (laughs) could raise the dead. We're not talking about something on an operating table 30 minutes later, we're talking about gone. A man who could feed tens of thousands of people from a single lunch, he was the great messianic hope. But don't disappoint the crowd. Don't disappoint the crowd. And Jesus did. He wasn't going to save them from the Romans. He was going to die at Roman hands. And we find in chapter 12, Jesus predicting his death, which I spoke of last week. There were Greeks who came wanting to see Jesus. The news was spreading. But Jesus talked about losing his life. If you remember correctly, in verse 27, there's references again to glorification. And there's reference for the benefit of the crowd. Now the time for judgment of this world has come. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus ends this story or this section of sayings, reminding them as he did in 11 about light. You're going to have the light a little longer, this time not the light of day, but the light of the world. Walk while you have it before darkness overtakes you. Walk while you can see clear your path. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become children of light. And this is today's passage, which follows. It doesn't need a lot of explanation. It doesn't need a lot of context. Verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. I can't tell you how many people have said to me if I could just see Jesus. Why can't he do a miracle for me? And that same metaphor of light and dark applies today. Do you have enough evidence? Do you have enough information? or will you be perpetually unable to see, perpetually unable to hear? This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39. For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, quote, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn. And I would heal them. The desire of the Lord remains for his people even in this declaration. The desire of the Lord is to be the healing of the nations, to be the healing balm. The light, the life, the way, the truth. The desire of the Lord is that we would see with our hearts and our eyes. Jesus said, And I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Yet at the same time, many among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human glory more than the glory of God. And then Jesus cried out, Those who believe in me do not believe in me only but the one who sent me. Remember I mentioned that as the third theme, the one sent? When they look at me, they see the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And so it says in John chapter 1, which I referenced last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what was with God excuse me, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that light was the light of all people. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's that light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the opening statement John is making, and he's bringing that to conclusion right here, right now. Jesus cried out, Those who believe in me do not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When they look at me, they see the one who sent me, for I and my Father are one. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for those who hear my words but do not keep them, I do not judge them, for that I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for those who reject me and do not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them in the last day for I did not speak on my own but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. message hasn't changed. Belief is life. Faith is life. Seeing while there is light is life. Let's not be people who are still not believing. And so, Lord, may the king who comes, the one sent, the light and the life, the way, the resurrection, the truth, may that God, that Messiah, be the one in whom we have faith for now and evermore. Amen.